good to be with you all this morning. I apologize for the late start, but let's, uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in uh, to our lesson for the morning. Um, Lord, we do, uh, yeah, we do come to you this morning humbly and, uh, yeah, in faith, and we thank you for the kindness that you have shown us in Christ. We pray that as we, um, yeah, as we spend these next, next little bit talking about the topic of worship, um, particularly as it pertains to what we do as a body. We pray that you would give us insight and wisdom uh, from your word, Lord, that we would not be uh, guided uh, by um, yeah, the wisdom of man, but by your wisdom and the things that you have revealed to us. Would you, um, yeah, would you help us uh, to have understanding? Would you help us to uh, believe your word? And uh, yeah, would you help us to be edified because of uh, the time we spend here together? Um, Lord, we need you, and um, yeah, we pray these things in, in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, well, guys, we're going to be in uh, talking about the, uh, the topic of worship this morning. Morning, Dave. If you didn't notice, that handout is two pages, um, one side each. So just a heads up. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> yeah, we're going to... So we're... This morning in the topic of worship, and uh, we're going to begin with sort of a broad overview, uh, kind of a uh, philosophy of just worship in the Bible, uh, but then the, the majority, uh, at least the second half majority of our class will be on the topic of corporate worship, uh, how we think about uh, liturgy here and, and what we're called to do when we gather. So at the top of your handout, you'll have a main point. Since the church is redeemed to worship and gathers for the purpose of worship, we must order our gathering in such a way that purifies and amplifies worship. So one more time, since the church is redeemed to worship and gathers for the purpose of worship, we must order our gathering in such a way that purifies and amplifies worship. <clears throat> so uh, before we define what worship is, when you hear the, the word worship, what comes to your mind? What do you associate with worship? Okay, good. Posture bowing down. Singing. Singing. Praise. Praise. Good. Okay, good. Yeah. Anything else? <clears throat> say doing that which God has gifted you to do and using that to the praise of the glory of God. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, so uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Uh, somebody could get to Romans 12, 1 to 2. Annette, you're there. Will you read that for us? Uh, read it loud so everyone can hear. <clears throat> I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, <coughs> which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Good. NASB. NASB. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's just fine. Um, yeah, so what is, in, in that passage, uh, what does Paul say that our spiritual worship is? presenting of our entire bodies yeah the presenting of our entire bodies um, all that we are to him 
given in worship. Okay, now how do we how do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Again, look at the passage. Um, how do we do that? What is an outflow of maybe? What is an outflow of that? Yeah, yeah. so it's not conforming to the world, but rather being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So <clears throat> what's not explicit in this text, though I think it's, it's very much present in the book of Romans and the scriptures, uh, yeah, through and through, if you want to have your mind renewed, how do you do that? Be in the Word. Yeah, be in the Word, be in God's Word. Um, yeah, so we can either, I think the, the, the choice, if you will, that this passage is giving to us is we can either listen to the world or we can listen to the word, right? We can be conformed to the pattern of the world or we can be transformed by having our minds renewed as we meditate on God's word, as his spirit works through that word, uh, yeah, to change us. And so... <clears throat> um, yeah, I want to give us a, here's a definition uh, some of you may have heard of, of David Peterson, uh, who wrote a book called Engaging with God. Uh, but he gives this definition of worship. The worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. Okay, so one more time. The worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. Um, so this is a good definition of worship. What's, what's the definition getting at? <clears throat> None of it is about us, it's about God. Good, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's on his terms. It's because he's made it possible. It's not about us, it's about him. There's a whole life nature of, of worship that is being, being identified. Uh, so whether we're uh, giving praise or having a posture of bowing down or uh, whether we're singing, whether we're giving thanks, all these different aspects of worship, all of them belong to a disposition, right? A disposition that is bent toward God, that is bent toward sacrificing uh, one's entire life uh, to God and according to what pleases Him in His Word, right? So we go to His Word, we see what He's like, we see what He calls us to, and that's how we know who He is, what is, yeah, what He's like, what's pleasing to Him, what is it that we offer up to Him that, um, that He receives as uh, a good sacrifice, okay? Uh, yeah, we see... Uh, in the scriptures that worship of God is the purpose of all creation, right? Everything in creation, everything that was made, uh, does exist, exists for the purpose of, of worshiping God. Um, Romans eleven thirty six says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, right? So all things are from God. All things have their existence through God and uh, and they are all for him. They're all to him uh, for the sake of, of his glory. Okay. Um, so what I want us to do is let's look at, uh, yeah, worship as a storyline of the Bible. 
Uh, you'll, you'll have three sort of sub points there on your handout. And you guys that are just walking in, just heads up, there's handouts on the stand and they're two pages uh, because they should have been two-sided and I made them one-sided. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the first sub point, the world was created for worship. Uh, so let's read. I would love for someone to read all of Psalm 148 for us. Psalm 148. When you read it, just keep in mind it's a long, narrow room, so just read uh, for everyone in the room. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, so what do we see? Who is called uh, to praise the Lord from this psalm? Everything. Um, yeah, everything is called to praise the Lord. Specifically, look at verse 5. Uh, so, let them praise the name of the Lord. What's the next word you see? For. for. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. And then, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. In, in this passage, this, this word for, what it's doing is it's explaining what is the basis for which, why, everything should uh, praise the name of the Lord. What is the basis? He, he commanded and it was created. By nature of being creator, he is owed the praise of his creation. Right? And, verse 6 tells us, his power is such that his commands, what he creates, his commands shall never pass away. Right? Even now, as Hebrews tells us this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, yeah, not only are we, uh, I think, commanded to, to praise the Lord, commanded to worship, but also, simply put, it's right for us to do that because we owe our existence to him, right? It's right for the sun and the moon and the stars to sing his praise as it were, because their very existence tells of God's glory, right? By nature of being made, they point to the one who made them. Uh, and, this, and this is true of all of, of creation, all right? So all of creation is, is commanded, it's created uh, to give, give worship to God, but there's a problem, right? The problem is that sin disrupted right worship. 
Okay, so Romans 1, 18 to 23. Someone uh, who has that and can read that for us? Joseph. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Yeah. All right, so in the first point, we see everything is created to worship God, but here we see there's an exchange, right? Uh, what is the exchange that we see? They exchange the true image of God for uh, essentially idols, images made like the creation. Yeah. Yeah, they exchange the, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling created things, right? Um, yeah, I always think when I come to this passage, it's, it's just such a reminder. I think when you get to verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. There's something in, in just acknowledging God as being God and giving thanks to him. There's something in, in that that is uh, of the essence of worship, right? To not give thanks to God is to not worship him rightly. Um, yeah, so we see this exchange that, uh, yeah, men uh, who by their unrighteousness have suppressed the truth, have, uh, they've exchanged the glory of God uh, for lesser things, for the things that he has made. Uh, yeah, so everyone is a worshiper. Everyone worships something or someone, uh, but because of sin, everyone's prone to false worship, right? We're, we are prone uh, to worship falsely both in what we worship or who we worship, but also in how we worship. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that here, here in a few minutes, the, the how piece. Uh, yeah, but I think for, for telling the storyline here, it helps to, yeah, to remember here that we are guilty of idolatry before God. We're guilty of not honoring Him as God, uh, of not giving thanks to Him as God, and that's the problem. Uh, but, but thankfully... Uh, yeah, it's one of the things that one of the reasons that we gather here. Uh, in some sense, the primary reason that we gather here uh, is to give thanks to God because He's not left us in that dark place. Uh, he has sent Christ uh, to redeem us to right worship. Uh, so I want to go to John four nineteen to twenty six. Um, yeah, for a moment, John four nineteen to twenty six is right in the middle of Jesus' conversation with. Uh, the Samaritan woman at, uh, at Jacob's well. So he meets this woman there, and um, she'll go on to recount later how Jesus pointed out her sin to her, uh, how it was clear to her that he's, he's a prophet. Uh, yeah, but here they're speaking about how we are to worship rightly. So someone read that for us. Yeah. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 
Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will be the kings. Jesus said to her, I will speak to you. Uh, so, the woman is interested in talking about what? Location of worship. Yeah, location of worship. Uh, where's the right place? Is it on this mountain? Or is it in Jerusalem at the temple, on the temple mount? Uh, yeah, what, what is the, where's the right place to worship? Uh, and what does Jesus tell her? The hour is coming what? <laughs> neither of those places are really the right place. Yeah, neither of those places. Uh, it's the hour is coming, and it's actually now here. Why is it here now? Because he's there. Because Jesus is here, right? Jesus has come. Uh, yeah, so that there's not a particular place we go. Rather, there's a person through whom we go, right? Um, yeah, he's gonna say, "That's not going to that place or that place or that place. That's not how you worship rightly." Rather, the manner uh, in which you worship, uh, that is in spirit and in truth, that manner determines uh, whether you're worshiping God truly. Right? So, uh, yeah, worshiping God rightly happens in a particular person that is in Christ by faith. That's how we worship God. And in God's kindness, so what we're, what we're reflecting on, the reason that's true is because that in God's kindness, He sent Christ. Right? He sent his own son uh, to come and to perfectly obey all of God's commands where we have rebelled, where sin has disrupted uh, right worship. Jesus has come to obey God uh, and then uh, to go to the cross and take taking our sins and our rebellion upon himself and to pay for those sins. So that by faith in him, uh, we are, uh, we're not doing away with the law. In some sense, we're actually fulfilling it because through him, uh, through his obedience that he gives to us, uh, we are made right with God. Um, he takes our sin. He takes the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. Um, but thankfully, he doesn't stay there. On the third day, he rises and he uh, yeah, he ascends to the Father's right hand, and then he sends his Spirit. He has sent his Spirit to dwell inside of us as his people so that we can be what? So that we can be what, according to this passage? True worshipers. Yeah. yeah. So whether we eat or drink, or whether we sing or pray, or praise, whatever we do, we can and we have to do everything for God's glory through Jesus, who has redeemed us uh, to worship rightly. Any questions here so far? Yeah, so, um, yeah, as Christians, uh, by nature of being Christians, we are necessarily members of the body of Christ. 
We are members of the church. We're not saved into isolation. We're saved into a family. Um, yeah, we are called to worship God when we scatter. But we're also called to gather together to worship Him together. Uh, we're commanded to both of those things. Uh, we can say a whole lot more. Uh, I said at the beginning, we talk a little bit about a philosophy of worship. That's it. Um, we could say a whole lot more about uh, worship generally, uh, but we're going to particularly for today, uh, the rest of our time, we're going to spend talking about uh, our corporate worship in general, right? So, um, you know, how do we worship God when we come together? Uh, has he given us particular ways that we should worship him? Uh, are there ways that we shouldn't worship him? Um, yeah, those those kind of things. Okay, so... Um, just a heads up on, on your handouts, uh, that second half of the first page, the bottom part, uh, I have essentially gelled that with the third half or, or the, I'm sorry, the back page. So it'll, it might feel uh, slightly out of order because the heading is slightly out of order. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll try to help make sense of, we're going to deal with the definition of liturgy. We're going to go back up and deal with sort of the... Um, yeah, the principle uh, and purpose of worship, and then we'll come back down and talk through specific, uh, yeah, specific elements of, of liturgy, okay? Uh, when you hear the word liturgy, what comes to your mind? I honestly think of Catholicism. Okay, yeah. Why do you think of Catholicism? Because they're very well known for, like, their pomp and circumstance, and they're very, like, ritualistic, and everything's symbolic for them. Okay. When I think liturgy, I just immediately think of that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. What else? It's a public reading of the word and participation. Good. Yes, yeah, so it's a public a public uh, participation with others uh, around God's word. Anything public service or order of worship. We tend to use, uh, when we talk about liturgy, we're talking about how we order our service. Um, yeah, what things go into when we gather? What are the things that we do that make up, uh, yeah, our, our order, our, uh, yeah, our process of worshiping the Lord? So today, when we go into the main service, uh, you'll get a service guide. In the front page, there's, there's an order. Uh, and there's a reason for that order, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, um, I think, fill some of that out as we go. Uh, but yeah, so liturgy tends to be thought of in two sort of, uh, two sort of frameworks, two sort of buckets. Um, some people will ascribe to what's called the normative principle. Some people will ascribe to what's, ascribe to what's called the regulative principle. The normative principle, does anybody know what that means? Okay, it means it, it's a principle that a worship gathering can include anything that's not prohibited in Scripture. So the Scripture hasn't said, don't do this. Uh, this principle would say we can do that in our worship service if we think it's edifying. The regular principle, uh, or, and let me even just say, like, so that might mean, hey, we're going to show some movie clips in a sermon. We're going to do... Uh, we're going to have some drama. We're going to have a drama today in the service, or 
you know, we're gonna, um, yeah, we're gonna get together and do interpretive dancing or, you know, you can sort of fill in the blank with lots of things, anything that's not prohibited in scripture. The regular principle in opposition is, is essentially the opposite, right? So it's the principle that our worship, our worship gathering can only include what scripture commands. Uh, so that when we gather, the only things that we're going to do together are what the scripture commands. And even as I say that, we still need to separate between the elements, right? The elements that make up what's happening in the service versus the forms that they take, right? So we can sing, but there's lots of different ways that we can sing. So <clears throat> what the scripture commands us to do is sing. Uh, and, and, it, and it even gives us guiding posture for how we are to sing, Right, with thanksgiving in our hearts, with, uh, with deference for one another. We'll talk about that a little bit here in a few minutes as well. But the point is, we just want to not confuse. We want to not take what happens at Delray Baptist Church on Sunday. We have one guitar player today and a keyboard player and three singers and a drum player. Therefore, we, we think the scripture commands that every church has to do exactly that. And they have to do all their songs the same way we do them. We're not saying that. Uh, so that's why we want to differentiate between the elements that we see Scripture commanding us to do versus how, uh, how we go about doing them from place to place. Okay. Uh, yeah, so at our church, we're going to lean. Uh, yeah, we, we aim to lean uh, hard into the regulative principle. Uh, we believe that God actually does the best. Uh, how he is to be worshipped, uh, that he, um, yeah, has not left us in the dark uh, on on this, but has given us his word that tells us uh, how we are to worship him, what is pleasing to him in worship. Um, you know, so uh, you know, if I wanted to compliment my wife and say, you know, Rebecca, I love uh, I love your straight red hair and your blue eyes. Uh, is she going to be encouraged by that? No, why? Because she doesn't have she doesn't have any of that stuff, uh, right? So, uh, all the more this is true of God. We're not going to worship God according to the things that don't please Him, according to what He hasn't called us to. We're going to worship Him in the ways that He has told us uh, that He is worshipped. Um, yeah. So I want to make a case for the regulative uh, principle using a few passages. Let's get. I'd love to get um, somebody to get Exodus twenty-five verse forty. And let's just do that. So ex Exodus twenty-five verse forty. All right, and before you read it, let me just set it up and say uh, the book of Exodus details what. The Exodus. The Exodus. What is the Exodus? Yeah, it's God redeeming his people Egypt. Uh, not his people Egypt. It's God redeeming his people Israel from Egypt. Um, yeah, so, so you have uh, him doing that through uh, the ten plagues. Uh, he gives them the law. He brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. Begins to give them... Uh, commands for how they are to live together as his people, how they are to be set apart as holy as his people. And then we get to chapter 25, and he's, de he's beginning to detail the elements of, um, yeah, temp or, or it would have been worship in, in the tabernacle 
of, of Israel, right? So you have these elements like, hey, we're making a, God's commanding that they make a, an altar and God's commanding that they make their tent a certain way and that they make the curtain a certain way. And, and he gives very uh, I think detailed instructions for how that, how that all is to be made and what it's yeah, supposed to look like. So Exodus 2540, who has it? Right. See to it that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. Who's showing it to them? God is is showing it to them on the mountain through Moses. Um, Yeah, so he's showing to them how they are to make the elements that will be used to worship him. Uh, Quick example. What was on the curtain? So what if they said, oh, we, we're just going to make the curtain. Uh, we're going to embroider some stuff on the curtain. And we'll do stuff that we think worships God. What would be lost if they had done that? Besides the fact that they're disobeying God in that moment. What might be lost for us later? Do you remember what was on the curtain? It's the seraphim. And you remember what happened to the curtain when Jesus... Uh, died on the cross it was torn in two do you remember what happened in the garden whenever God exiled uh, Adam and Eve from the garden do you remember who was put there a seraph with a flaming sword guarding the way to the presence of God and so what's lost in the imagery you have this curtain that has images of seraphs beautiful seraphs on them that are guarding the way to the Holy of Holy, that divide the way to the Holy Holy, and it's opened. That's amazing. I mean, think about the imagery there that Jesus, Jesus' death, and then his resurrection paves the way to the presence of God for his people. Like, there's, there was purpose in that design. It's purpose that they had no idea when they made that curtain. It wasn't for them to determine what they thought should be on it, God said, this is what should be on it. And he had a reason that they wouldn't know till later that this is why it's like this. And you can go through and do that with everything you do with the mercy seat where blood is sprinkled. And, and yeah, and the mercy seat is, it's a picture of what? Yeah, it's, later it's going to be a picture. Jesus' blood is going to be shed. Uh, yeah, so that when God's presence above the ark is looking down. The imagery is that God's presence is, is above the ark. It's looking down at his broken law. There's a mercy seat on top of it, shed blood, uh, that when he looks down, he sees that. Well, it's a picture of what he's going to do in Christ. And now he's going to um, yeah, show mercy to his people through the shedding of, of Christ's blood. So all these things are, are pictures that, uh, that God has he's given designs for a reason. And we may not know what all of them are. But we are called to worship him in the way that he has, um, that he has said. Uh, just a quick, uh, yeah, snapshot of a couple other passages. Passage of Cain and Abel. Abel's sacrifice was received. Abel's was rejected. Right? Even in even there in Genesis four, uh, you have true worship and you have false worship. They both brought an offering to the Lord, right? So what was wrong? They both they both brought something to God. What was wrong? The condition of 
Yeah, yeah, the posture was missing um, of, of Cain's heart, right? Only one of them offered a sacrifice in a manner pleasing to God. Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, what happens with Nadab and Abihu? What do they offer before the Lord? Strange fire. Strange fire. Fire that God had not authorized. Fire in a way that was not in keeping with what they were called to do in uh, their, their priestly duties in, uh, in the tabernacle. So what happened? Consumed. Fire came out and consumed them. Yeah, they died. Right, right worship is deadly serious. Matthew 15, 1 to 14, you have Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, yeah, Jesus rebukes them specifically because they are teaching not God's commands, but what? The doctrines of men, the commands of men. Right? They are they are teaching the commands of men, or they're yeah, they're teaching the commands of men as though they are God's commands. And Jesus calls them blind gods and tells his people, do not follow them. Only follow those who would teach you God's commands as he has given them and how to follow him. We could say, we could say more. Uh, there's many, many other examples. The point, though, is that sincerity is not enough. right? Just being sincere is not enough. Is it important to be sincere? Absolutely. On the flip side, you can do all the right things outwardly speaking, and lack a heart, a disposition of worship toward God, and you're still missing it. So sincerity, it matters, it's important, but it's not enough, right? We need, uh, we need sincerity according to uh, what is true as God has revealed it, okay? So God cares about how he's worshiped. He's given us uh, what we need to worship him rightly in his word. Uh, and, then, and then that second uh, sub point at the very bottom of that first page uh, you have the, uh, the purpose of worship. Uh, yeah, three, three things. Exalt the Lord, right? We're, uh, the reason we worship is to exalt the Lord. Uh, the reason we worship is also to edify each other. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that uh, everything that we, sh- that we do, I think it's 14, 26, uh, everything that we do should be done for the building up of the body. The aim is to edify each other. Uh, and then thirdly, it's to equip the saints, right? It's to equip uh, God's people for the work of ministry. Uh, yeah, so these, are, these sort of mark the, the purpose of our worship uh, as, as far as what's been revealed in the scriptures. Any questions up until now on any of that? All right. So what we're going to do now is we're on we're on page two um, of the handout, and we're going to walk through uh, a hand, yeah, just uh, six six things uh, that sort of mark what we see as being important aspects of our liturgy, as uh, as God's word has revealed. So first of all, read the word. Okay, we're called to read the word, and that you alluded to this earlier. We talked about public reading of scripture. Somebody read for us 1 Timothy 4.13. And actually, uh, could someone... So who can get that? Pat, thank you. Who can get Colossians 4.16? Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5.27. 
Uh, okay, so let's go first. Let's go First Timothy four thirteen. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Great. So uh, Paul is telling Timothy, "Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture." For Scripture to be read publicly, what does that assume? Like, how do we know this is not just read the Bible on your own, privately? How do we know it's not just private worship thing? It's public, right? It assumes that there are other people there. He's also not just standing outside on, on you know, by the fountain in the town square and nobody's around. Like the point is like read it publicly where other people are so that so that we're hearing a diet of um, yeah, of the scriptures. Right? It wasn't only for Timothy. This was this was a normal part of uh, of Israel's gathering. Whenever they uh, got together in the old under the old covenant, uh, they would get together and they would read uh, they would read God's word together. Uh, there's also other examples uh, in the New Testament church so Colossians 4.16, go ahead and read that. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Yeah, so what are they, what's, uh, yeah, what, what's the Colossian church supposed to do? They're supposed to read the letter among you, right, and share it, right? They're supposed to have it also read uh, in the church that is the assembly of the Laodiceans. Um, yeah, this, there's, a, there's a public corporate aspect to it. Uh, Elijah? I put, you under oath. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Yeah. Read it to who? All the brothers. All the brothers. Right. There's a public, uh, there's a command here for public reading of the scripture. So when... Uh, Think about our service. When does this happen in our church? Do we do this at our church? Yeah, a few times. When? When does it happen? Beginning, the middle, the end. Beginning, the middle, and the end. Wow, all the time. Yeah, so we have an opening reading. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, this is a new, uh, sort of a new change, but we'll normally start our service now with, with a song, but then we immediately move into scripture reading. Uh, brother comes up, gives us a few announcements, and then gets us into the word. Uh, and then, and then later after the, or, or I guess it really is part of the pastoral prayer. We'll have another scripture reading. Uh, those two complemented, and we'll do it again. You mentioned at the end, so we have a benediction at the end. But you take all those together, and uh, yeah, we see them as as doing, um, yeah, as giving us, uh, yeah, good models. Uh, not even good models, but just good, good reflections, good meditations on God's word uh, will tend to have prayers that come according to or, or flow out of those, uh, those passages of the word. Um, but yeah, we read the scripture publicly because we believe what? It's commanded. Yeah, we believe it's commanded. We believe that God has spoken, right? We're not just reading anyone's words. We believe that these are the words of God. Uh, and that we need His Word as the light uh, by which we, we can live. And because we believe His, his Word uh, forms us as a community, right? So it's not just our private reading, but actually the fact that we're reading together, it, we need it to be proclaimed publicly 
but it's not just for us to process individually, but also we're processing it, we're hearing it together corporately. And what does that allow us to do later? We could talk about it. You could talk about it with somebody. Um, yeah, so I think this is a great quote. Uh, Matt Merker in his book, Corporate Worship, uh, I think his best section of the book is sort of the middle to second half where he's talking about liturgy and just thinking intentionally about what happens in our service. Uh, but he says this, the simple act of listening to God's word with a shared commitment to believe and obey it, binds a church together. Even if only one person reads the scripture aloud, the point is that all 40 or 400 or 4,000 church members hear the same word at the same time. The word then goes to work in our relationships. Right? So, uh, yeah, through the public reading of God's word, uh, his word nourishes our souls together sanctifies us and builds us up in faith together. Secondly, uh, there's a command to preach the word. Okay, 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Right? Very explicit. Uh, Paul's charge is to preach the word, to always be ready. Uh, what is preaching? It's not the reading. God's word. Teaching. Yeah. yeah. Explaining and applying Good. Of, the, of God's word. Yeah, it's the teaching, it's the explaining, it's the applying. We're proclaiming God's word and applying it to life. Right? Um, yeah, and, and just like we said in reading, the word then, the, as the sermon is preached, then goes to work in the life of the church as members respond to it. Uh, yeah, because this is the main diet that the congregation gathers around. It's important that the sermon is not filled with what? What should the sermon not be marked by? A lot of things. That's a broad question. <laughs> the preacher's own ideas. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going for. Uh, not the preacher's own ideas. Uh, the preacher's personal agenda is not it's not what's supposed to come out here. Insofar as his agenda is formed by that word, uh, he is formed by that word, sure, like he, he can bring personal things to bear. But the point is that uh, the intention is that God's word is rightly exposed uh, for what it says in the way that the Spirit has intended that it be proclaimed, right? That's what we mean by expositional preaching. Uh, preaching that exposes God's word, uh, not that um, not that imposes meaning onto it, but that exposes what is there. How do you do that? Well, you do it by carefully observing what's there and carefully interpreting, uh, using all the words and using the context of the Bible and the context of even that book or that paragraph. It's you have to think about how all the context of the rest of God's word comes to bear. Uh, there, so that the sermon shouldn't be guided merely by one passage of scripture, because you can you can make that mean other things if it stands alone. Rather, uh, yeah, the entirety of scripture interprets the entirety of scripture, right? So no matter where you're at in scripture, all of the scripture is with it and coming to bear, right? Because what's behind the scripture? What's behind the revealed word? 
the person and work of God, right? He is, he is unified. He is, uh, he is, uh, yeah, in a sense, simple. If you want to know what I, more about what I mean by simple, listen to the recording from the Doctrine of God class. Um, yeah, it's, it's excellent. Uh, but it just means that, yeah, the Lord is not divided. Uh, all of his word is consistent. All of his word uh, has his person and his work behind it. Um, I have more to say on that, but I think I'm going to move on. Um, I will say, as we think about preaching the word, the passage that's being preached, it's the guiding sort of thing, or it's the guiding sort of element for everything else that we do in our service, right? So when you go to go to the gathering this morning, uh, you hear the word proclaimed, you hear, you see what the passage is, you read through the word. I would just encourage you even to think back, uh, if you haven't already done that, think back after, after the service about how the first song that we sang and the second song that we sang and the third song that we sang, they're all connected. Like they were all designed based on this, this word of God that we're hearing today. Right? And that's also true with the scripture readings that we select. They're intended to be supplemental. They're intended to be tied to the sermon. Um, yeah, so we could, I'm certain that we could say more, but that just know that as we think about preaching the word, it's that word that, that forms the center of what we do when we gather. Uh, thirdly, we want to pray the word. Acts 2.42, uh, yeah, in that passage we see the followers of Jesus uh, quote, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right. Um, yeah, prayer is at least one element of uh, the gathering of God's people. Jesus in uh, Matthew 6 tells us how we should pray. Uh, his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, so notice, what kind of pronouns is Jesus using in that passage? Give who our daily bread? Or give who? Us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we, as we also have forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So, um, yeah, even in Jesus uh, teaching them how to pray, there's a, there's a corporate component here to pray, get together and pray like this when you gather. Right. Um, the kinds of things in his prayer, uh, you, some, some of us uh, likely will have heard the acts, acts, Acronym ACTS uh, stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. All of these elements are in this passage uh, that Jesus just gave. Uh, so adoration or praise is here in the, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, the supplication is here in um, give us this day our daily bread. It's in asking the Lord for what we need. Confession, acknowledgement of sin, forgive us our debts as we also uh, have forgiven our debtors. The, the acknowledgement there that we have debts. Um, 
yeah, is, is an important one. Thanksgiving, you don't explicitly see here, but I actually think it's, it's very much here in the guiding posture uh, that Jesus is modeling. There is, a, there is an acknowledgement that anything good we have, uh, any protection we receive, any, uh, any provision we receive, all of it actually comes from the Lord. So there's a, a posture of thanksgiving, I think, that, that marks um, yeah, his, his act of prayer here and the things that he's praying for. So, yeah, a heart of thanksgiving should always uh, accompany all of our prayers to the Lord. Uh, do not be anxious. I'm shooting from the hip here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Let your, let your requests be made known to God. It's the thanksgiving that is the posture with which we come. Um, and then we, we speak certain things, we say certain things, we, we ask for certain things from the Lord in our prayer. Um, all of those things, so we mentioned the service leading, the pastoral prayer, the benediction. You'll notice that in the service leading, we'll tend to really highlight praise and, uh, and thanksgiving and even confession. In the pastoral prayer, we'll, we'll tend to be very much marked by petitioning the Lord. Uh, and so I think collectively, you may not see every element here in each prayer, but I think collectively in our service, we're praying in all of these ways intentionally. Number four, sing the word. I'm going to be very concise on this one because we have a whole week on singing next week. Um, but I will say, uh, Christians are singing people. Do you remember what happened after the Exodus in, uh, so the very beginning of chapter 15 of Exodus? What's the first thing you see? Moses' song. Moses' song. What was the verse before it? What just happened? Yeah, the Egyptians are drowned in the Dead Sea. God's delivered his people. The song is a response to his redemption. Right? Singing is uh, something that belongs to God's people. Uh, it, you know, singing as worship is a response that belongs to God's people in response to uh, God's redemption. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank. Thankfulness in your hearts toward God. Um, yeah, we're called to let God or the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Um, according to Colossians three sixteen, that at least means that we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. We can't do this by ourselves, right? We can't do this at home. We do that. This aspect of singing we do together, uh, and so that's why it's part of our gathering. And just even the idea of singing, it's really uh, one little snippet uh, that we'll talk about a little bit next week is just, yes, yeah, singing is a way that we have, everyone in our church, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds. We're old, we're young, um, we're strong, we're weak, uh, but all of us are laying down our personal preferences in order to sing one song at the same time, to one tune, by the, one, or by the power of the one Spirit, with the aim of praising the one true God who's redeemed us through faith in Christ alone. Right? That is what, well, singing is a wonderful picture of God's redemptive work. Uh, we'll talk more next week. Lastly, um, 
just want to point out that we also see the word. Uh, so we have two, uh, what we refer to as ordinances, uh, that Jesus has given us uh, to, uh, to do together as a body. The first is baptism. What happens in baptism? What is it, what is it a picture of? Yeah, a person is brought below the water. What does that signify? Death. death to himself. Death to herself. Person is then brought back up, signifying, somebody said it, new life. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, these are modeling what Jesus did for us, and it's modeling the reality of our life in him, right? He was died, or he died on the third day, rose. Uh, for our justification, having cleansed us of our sins and clothed us in His righteousness, right? On the one hand, it's a command. Uh, it's a command given for every believer to to do uh, as an act uh, or as a, a profession of his faith, uh, as an act of identifying himself with the Lord. On the other hand, it's also uh, an ordinance that belongs to the church. So, in the Great Commission, uh, all authority. Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." Therefore. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So who is to baptize? The church, right? If Jesus commanding his disciples, his, his gathered people, to, to baptize those, bring them into the family. Um, Lord's Supper. Uh, yeah, the supper, the elements of the supper that we take together, they give us a picture of the gospel. The bread that we partake together represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup that we drink together represents the shed blood of Jesus. Together they depict uh, Jesus' sacrificial death on behalf of, of us as people, right? His salvation of his people. Uh, they're physical reminders of, that, that depict the saving work of Jesus. They're also a corporate means of us together um, yeah, participating in an ongoing way in his body and his blood been united to him by faith as well as to one another. Um, I, yeah, giving at the very end of your handout uh, concerning, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Right, the church is called uh, to worship together by uh, yeah, by uh, giving to gospel ministry, right? This is a, so we don't hear it at our church. We don't pass a plate. We have boxes on the walls at the front and the back, uh, you know, but it is, yeah, we, we assume this is part of our gathering is that we collect money that then goes to gospel work. So maybe it's, maybe it's gospel work here that's happening in our own place. Uh, certainly that. But also, we have ministry partners around the world, churches that we're trying to help plant in different places, even in our own country. Uh, but we want to see the gospel going forth and being proclaimed uh, Yeah, where there's a need for a gospel proclamation. Um, that's all I have. It is 10 o'clock. So, I'm going to pray for us. And then, uh, actually, I'm not going to pray for us. Dave Sutton, will you pray for us? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. You've given us life and breath, and Lord, more than that, new life in Christ. And we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you would 
um, give us a clear vision of you um, as our Lord and Savior and Creator and Friend and Helper and all that you are to us, so that our hearts would be moved to worship you, to worship you as we ought, as you desire, Lord, for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.